we are um, looking tonight again at Revelation chapter 1. And uh, we're just going to read uh, from verse 9. Uh, verse 9 in Revelation 1, and we'll read uh, down to verse 16. Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John, both your brother and companion in the tribulation and kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was on the island that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. And what you see, write in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia, to Ephesus, to Smyrna, to Pergamos, to Thyatira, to Sardis, to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp, two-edged sword, and his countenance, his face, was like the sun shining in its strength. Here is an elderly Christian uh, in his late 80s, early 90s, uh, in exile uh, because of his faith. Uh, he was the pastor of the church at Ephesus uh, on Asia Minor, but now he's been banished uh, because of the Roman persecution to the small island of Patmos, which is about 40 miles away from the Turkish coast, from Asia Minor. And here is a believer in isolation, like we are. And he was in a much worse place uh, because he was in prison. It was uh, probably like uh, some uh, uh, prison uh, like you have in, uh, in war. And he may have had a limited amount of freedom, but he is missing. Uh, uh, the freedom that he uh, naturally uh, had, and more than that, he is really yearning for Christian fellowship. He did not have Zoom, uh, so he could not have had virtual meetings with his brothers and sisters at Ephesus. And yet, uh, he, uh, in his spirit, is able uh, to uh, remember them in prayer. And we've got here a Christian, John, John the Apostle, John the Aged, who is able not just to survive in this exile and isolation, but to thrive 
And last time we ended with the statements that he was in the spirit on the Lord's day. Thank God we can still keep the Lord's day, Sunday, the first day of the week, the day that Jesus rose from the grave and defeated all of our enemies. We can still celebrate this day, even though we cannot meet together, just as John was doing. What a day. Uh, I think in lockdown, uh, the whole week uh, revolves around uh, this first day of the week. And then it was a special Sunday for John, because on that particular Sunday, he was in the Spirit. And again, the Spirit isn't locked down. The Holy Spirit, the same Spirit that uh, regenerated us uh, and that indwells us, that Holy Spirit can come upon us. We call it the outpouring of the Spirit. I'll speak more about that on Wednesday nights. And John, who has known other outpourings of the Spirit, he finds himself filled with the Holy Spirit on this particular Lord's Day. And my brothers and sisters, there is nothing, nothing stopping us from knowing that same blessing, even if it's personal revival. Uh, so that's where we finished uh, the last time. Now, we want to go on tonight uh, to look at what it means to uh, know a spiritual blessing. When a person says that they are in the spirits, that they have known uh, a revival, uh, an outpouring, what does it mean uh, in practice? Uh, so we'll start tonight uh, by looking at the vision of Christ that John has because he's in the spirits. Uh, that's something very important. The Holy Spirit doesn't draw attention to himself. He puts all the spotlights on the second person of the Trinity, the Lord Jesus Christ. So if you ever come across a person who claims to have had experiences of the Holy Spirit and all he's talking about is feelings uh, and just the spirits, uh, then we have a right to be suspicious. It is Jesus Christ that we are taken up by when the Holy Spirit comes to us. That is why sometimes we refer to revivals as visitations. Jesus visiting his people by his Holy Spirit. So that's what we'll start looking at tonight. And in verses 12 to 16, we'll have details of that vision. But let me just map out where we hope to be going as the Spirit leads in the next few weeks. Uh, this vision of Christ has a profound effect on John, verses 17 and 18. We'll look at that as well in the next few weeks. And then this isn't just Christ speaking to one disciple. He is Christ in the midst of his people, the churches, the seven churches in Asia Minor. Seven is a perfect number in scripture. So there's a completeness about Christ among the seven lampstands and the lampstands are symbolic of the church. So that's uh, the roadmap uh, for where we are hoping to go in 
these next few weeks. So let's look at uh, the vision of Jesus Christ uh, that John has. And let me quote one commentator. He turned around and the Mediterranean sights that he'd been getting used to in his exile began to fade. And instead, what immediately met his gaze and increasingly ravished his sights was a most glorious view of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. For what we need at all times, and most especially in times which call for particular endurance, like this coronavirus situation, is a view of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting uh, that John hears uh, the voice as of a trumpet. Uh, verse 10, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day and I heard behind me a loud voice as of a trumpet and Christ speaks. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last. Why is that interesting? The voice of the trumpet. Uh, that's an Old Testament uh, reference. When God gathered his people together, it was uh, through the blowing of a trumpet. Uh, when God came down on Mount Sinai, uh, there is reference to uh, the noise of a trumpet. And uh, we can imagine, can't we, uh, John, uh, maybe starting this Sunday, uh, feeling dejected, thinking, oh, I would love to be amongst my people in Ephesus. I would love to be preaching to them. And then uh, suddenly he is taken up by the Holy Spirit. And instead of hearing uh, the waves breaking upon the shore, he hears this voice like as of a trumpet. And instead of seeing the turquoise ocean and uh, the olive trees, uh, he sees with spiritual eyes uh, this glorious sight, Jesus Christ. Our previous pastor, uh, I think it was when he was in hospital, wrote these words. You probably know them off by heart. I saw a new vision of Jesus. When? A bit like John, I stood on the shores of my weakness and gazed at the brink of such fear. It was then that I saw him in newness, regarding him fair and so dear. Are you at the shores of your weakness? Are you at the end of your tether? Uh, maybe you uh, have had uh, children, uh, uh, not just all week, but for months now. Or maybe you're worried about your job situation, or maybe as a pastor or church leader, you're worried about what will happen to us as the people of God. My friend, you need to have a new vision of Jesus. That's what John had. Uh, that's what we need, a new vision of Jesus. Uh, when we will be back in church, uh, the organist often plays when the preacher walks up uh, into the pulpit. Uh, he plays this tune. We don't sing it, but these are the words to the tune. Turn 
your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Whatever problems we may be preoccupied with, whatever things that are beautiful in and of themselves, I wouldn't mind uh, being in lockdown on a Greek island, would you? <laughs> I know we've got Heath Park here, but a Greek island, uh, that's a much better deal. But imagine John completely forgetting about those beautiful sights, because now he was ravished by Jesus Christ. I was reminded of another John, a Puritan called John Flavel, uh, and he was just traveling somewhere, and he was actually very tired. Uh, so uh, he wasn't uh, effusive, uh, as we say. And this is what happened to him. Uh, somebody writes about an experience of Christ he had. Uh, such was the intention of his mind, such the ravishing tastes of heavenly joys, and such the full assurance of his interest therein. He knows that he is Christ's and Christ is his that he utterly lost all sight and sense of the world and all the concerns thereof. And for some hours, he knew no more where he was than it had been in a deep sleep upon his bed. Arriving in great exhaustion at a certain spring, he sat down and washed, earnestly desiring that if it was God's pleasure, that this might be his parting place from the world. Death had the most amiable face in his eyes that ever he beheld, except the fact of Jesus Christ. That's the key. Except the fact of Jesus Christ, which made it so. And he does not remember, though he believed himself dying, that he ever thought of his dear wife and children <laughs> or any other earthly concernments. All that thrills my soul is. Jesus. He is more than life to me. And the blessings of ten thousands in his face I see. So let's start looking without further ado. Uh, I got to keep an eye on the clock because we've got communion as well. At what John is ravished by here in this vision of Christ. Let me just go through the things first. I'm sure you took notes of them in the reading. He saw one, verse 13, like the Son of Man. I'm not interested in the golden lampstands tonight. We'll look at that when we come to Christ in the midst of his church. This is one-to-one -one now. John, face-to-face -face with Jesus Christ. One like the Son of Man. That's the first thing. He's clothed uh, with a garment down to his feet and uh, there's a golden band, a golden belt, or girdle, as the AV puts it, around his chest. Uh, his hair is white as wool, as white as snow. His eyes are a flame of fire. Feet like bronze, fine brass, and his voice as the sound of many waters. We'll ignore uh, the seven stars in his right hand, because that's to do with Christ in the midst of his church. But out of his mouth is a sharp two-edged sword, and his face is shining 
like the sun in its zenith, in its full strength. So those are some of the things that John sees. Just one uh, note before we come to look at them. This is symbolic language, right? We cannot take some of these things literally. When we are told that there's a sword coming out of the mouth of Christ, that is not something literal. It's the language of symbolism. And of course, we understand, if you remember the last sermon, uh, the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. So a sword coming out of the mouth of the Son of God is a graphic description of the Word of God. Uh, very very uh, uh, powerful, uh, that. Now, there are so many details here, we're in danger of getting lost in the midst of them. And we must remember that John uh, had his Old Testament, so he was very much influenced by that, especially the prophecy of Daniel. And so John, as somebody who knew his Old Testament and the people he was writing to, they knew their Old Testament scriptures. They would have been familiar with uh, the threefold offices of uh, the coming Messiah. Uh, Jesus Christ fulfilled the threefold offices. In the Old Testament, they had three separate people to fulfill these offices. But in Christ, they all came together. Do you know what they are? I'm not going to test you, but they're very important. The office of priest, offering sacrifices for the people, interceding for the people, prophets, teaching the people, and king, ruling over the people. They were three different people in the Old Testament, and they had to be replaced because they died. In Jesus Christ, one person, three offices combined, and no replacements, because he's alive forevermore. So I just want to uh, look at all these different descriptions, and I want to fit different ones into each of those three categories. Christ as prophet, priest, and king. And all we'll do tonight is just consider Christ as king. Uh, we started our meeting. Uh, the Lord is king, not just king. He is the king of kings. Do you realize that, Christian? You serve a king. Uh, it's not just uh, a savior but he is also King Jesus. I love that term, King Jesus. Now then, let's look at some of these characteristics which fits uh, the office of Christ as King. And the first one I want to mention is that phrase, the Son of Man, one like the Son of Man. Now we can superficially read that, and a lot of evangelicals do this, and they say, ah, that's very simple. Jesus is son of God, uh, he's divine, and he's son of man, he's human. Well, there's an element of truth in that, but we miss out a great deal if we read it in that superficial way. I read from Daniel's vision in the seventh chapter of that book, because there we have very similar terms, not just in terms of the likeness of the Son of Man, but other things will come across in this vision as well. And the Son of Man there means something much, much more than the humanity of Jesus Christ. What does it mean? 
It's his kingship, his kingship. Let me read again. Daniel verse 13, chapter 7. And behold, one like the Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, then to him, listen to this, then to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom uh, is the one who shall not be destroyed. What a king! What a kingdom! What a privilege to be citizens of such. And you can see why John here, uh, persecuted by the kingdom of this world, is completely taken up because he is part of a greater kingdom, the kingdom of Christ. So without further ado, let's just open this up by bringing the other characteristics in that fits Jesus as king. Uh, I just want to say Jesus is more awesome than any earthly ruler. I don't know who the most powerful ruler is at this moment in the world. Um, is it Trump uh, or the Chinese president or uh, Putin? Uh, it's hard to tell, isn't it? But all those are powerful men. But they are nobodies in comparison with King Jesus. Now, what strikes us here is his glory. His glory. Uh, look at the description of his face. Uh, so we're not going to go in the order of the verses here. Uh, go to the last feature that is mentioned. Uh, so the second half of verse 16. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. I think John was remembering something that happened to him during the earthly ministry of Jesus. This is going back a few decades now, but this experience had uh, been imprinted on his mind and heart. He and Peter and James had been taken up uh, the mounts of transfiguration, and there Jesus' face changed before them, transfigured before them, metamorphosized before them, and they just had a glimpse of something of his glory, and they were completely overwhelmed then. Now uh, the veil is taken away completely, and uh, John uh, must be uh, just full to overflowing. Uh, I think it was Moody who had to pray to the Lord, stay your hand. I can't take any more of this glory. Uh, Peter wrote about being filled with a joy inexpressible and full of glory, the eternal weight of glory, the uh, shining of the glory of God, that eternal light being seen in the person of Jesus Christ. And he's safe, he's safe. Uh, we can't see God the Father in his glory or we will be shriveled up. But in Christ, we have a mediator. No earthly king or ruler has that kind of glory. I know there's a charisma about them. There's a pomp and a circumstance. But this is divine. This is that eternal weight of glory. And when that is known, 
everything else fades into insignificance. I think this is what enabled John Knox to preach in Scotland in the Reformation there before the Queen, Mary, Queen of Scots, who was quite a strong and determined character. But John Knox wasn't afraid of her because he knew something of this glory of Jesus Christ. Now, we may not be John Knox's and we may not be facing Mary, Queen of Scots. But Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, 1949, in a home, he was recuperating. He was low and dejected and in a nursing home in Bristol. I don't know if it was the Lord's Day. Uh, he wasn't with the Lord's people. He was on his own. Uh, and he was shaving. And he had his daily readings on the bed. I think it was Arthur Pink that he was using. And the word glory suddenly stood out. And you can read about it in Ian Murray's biography of him. And suddenly, he said, he felt as if the room was filled with the glory of Jesus Christ. Best felt than felt. Have you ever felt just something of that glory? It's worth more than anything. Just a moment of it is worth more. Show us thy face, one transient gleam of loveliness divine. And we shall never think nor dream of other loves save thine. He's glorious. And then there's something else. He's mighty. He's mighty. And not in the verses we're considering, but verse 5 of Revelation 1. He uh, there says he's the ruler over the kings of the earth. Omnipotence. It means God all-powerful, and Jesus Christ is that. All power and authority have been given to me in heaven and on earth since his ascension. That's the position he is in at this very moment. Uh, but here uh, we have his omniscience. What does that mean? Uh, it means he knows everything. Uh, and if you look at the verses we're considering, his eyes... His flaming eyes. Uh, where are we there? Um, I'm not going to be able to hear any of you. Uh, tell me where it is. Uh, but uh, verse 14, the end of the verse. His eyes, like a flame of fire, penetrating, seeing more than just the outward, seeing into the intents of the heart. He wrote uh, to the church in Thyatira in the next chapter, I am he who searches the mind and the heart. We can't play politics uh, with Jesus Christ. We can't outmaneuver him. He sees uh, the motives. There's something awesome about him, isn't there? That penetrating gaze. Peter experienced it after he denied him three times. I think the gaze of Jesus Christ caused him to break more than anything else. And then his hair. Uh, what is that? Uh, verse 14. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow. He's pure. There, there's no corruption here. This is amazing. 
there's a saying which says power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. And we've experienced the truth of that uh, in world rulers. But here is the one who only has absolute power. And the wonderful thing is, is it hasn't corrupted him. It corrupted Lucifer, who wanted to be as God, and pride thrust him out of heaven. But praise be to the name of our Saviour. He hasn't been corrupted by power when he was here on earth as a man. The devil tried to corrupt him with that, but he withstood that temptation. And now he's been humbled by the death on the cross and raised to the power on high, to the right hand of the Father. There is no corruption. Oh, aren't you glad that the one who holds everything in his hands is not corrupt? His desires are only good, even when things are seemingly going against us. But there's something else about the hair here being as white as snow. Did you notice in the reading in Daniel 7 that that phrase was used there? Now, my little mind here can't cope with these grand truths. Why am I saying that? Well, in Daniel 7, verse 9, I think, it's the Ancient of Days, which I think of as God the Father, who has hair as white as wool, as white as snow. But here, and the same... Chapter, chapter one, uses other references from Daniel's vision, uses this reference to refer to Jesus Christ. That's what my mind can't get around. But does it matter? Because the Ancient of Days means he's the Father of Lights, in whom there is neither variableness nor shadow of turning. And Jesus Christ, the Son, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. So here is a king who is always going to be on the throne. He's never changed. Praise God. We have a Russian um, ruler who is trying to extend his reign. Uh, I think I'm right in saying that the Chinese president is trying to be a president for life. Uh, when I was a boy, I thought if something was guaranteed for life, it was guaranteed forever. <laughs> now I've come to realize that life doesn't mean forever. It means 70, 80 years, 90 for John. Here is a king who is forever, forever. And it's quite pathetic, isn't it, to see how kingdoms of this world, uh, they rise, yes, and they think they're going to last forever but they fall at his command. The Roman Empire eventually fell. Uh, the Byzantium Empire fell. Uh, the Napoleonic Empire fell. The British Empire fell. Uh, the Second World War, the Nazis, talking about the Third Reich, a thousand-year reign. They, they didn't even make a few decades. How pathetic. Ozymandias is written over every human empire. 
but not the kingdom of Christ. And I've got to hurry through uh, these characteristics of Christ's kingship. This is emphasized in his feats, his feats of brass, uh, bronze, as if refined in a furnace. Why am I emphasizing the feats? Oh, these are strong feats. These are stable feats. If you want to go um, hill walking in the rugged mountains of Snowdonia or the Highlands, you need proper mountain boots, stiff-soled boots. They will give you stability. And the feats of Jesus Christ are the most stable feats I know of. Uh, these feats uh, cause him to stand when all around is falling. And his feats tramples upon his enemies it doesn't seem like that often john probably didn't think that uh, until he had this vision here he was uh, persecuted probably worried about the future of the church but no jesus king jesus was still in charge and he was still working out his purposes this is what one person said the heels of god have led in them and are slow in coming, but when they come, they crush completely. And this King Jesus was going to bring down the Roman Empire. How did he do it? Oh, the wonder of it all. He used a bunch of fishermen, a bunch of nobodies, a bunch of the scum of society, uneducated, no influence, but filled with the spirits. They turned the Roman world upside down. And by 312 AD, the Emperor Constantine declared Christianity to be the religion of the empire. King Jesus. Wonderful. He is slow, yes, but the problem isn't his ways. It's our understanding. We are too uh, quick in our fixes. Aren't you glad to be subjects of this king? I just want to give you some uh, encouragements uh, here. Uh, I just uh, uh, want to read something. I don't know if you've ever watched The West Wing. It's a drama about the White House. Uh, it's got the best US presidents uh, the country never had, uh, Jed Bartlett. And in one episode, he talks about the Roman Empire. Listen to this. Did you know that 2,000 years ago, a Roman citizen could walk across the face of the civilized world free of the fear of molestation. He could walk across the earth unharmed, unharmed, cloaked only in the protection of the words, civis Romanus, I am a Roman citizen. So great was the retribution of Rome universally certain should any harm befall even one of its citizens now i don't know how historically accurate that is but there is that perception isn't there about the roman empire i'm absolutely certain about this we are as the apple of god's eye whoever touches to harm a believer even an ordinary believer, it could be a John on Patmos, it could be just a normal Christian like you and me. When they touch you, they touch God's eyes. And it may not seem like God is 
coming to your aid immediately, but he will. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? This is what King Jesus says. I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. I don't know what difficulties you are facing, but realize King Jesus is in control. The feet of bronze, hold on to them and be stable. Can you do that? Can you do that? Let me give you another uh, experience. Uh, this ties in with John, and I am winding down, I promise. A Hudson Sailor, on the Lord's Day, he was too dejected to be in the church. He started in the meeting, uh, but this is uh, what we're told. Unable to bear the sights of a congregation of a thousand or more Christian people rejoicing in their own security while millions were perishing for lack of knowledge. I wondered, he said, out on the sands. This is Brighton in great spiritual agony. He'd just returned from China. The China Inland Mission hadn't been formed yet. Brighton Beach at church time on Sunday morning was almost deserted. This was 1865. He walked across the shingle to the narrow strip of sand left by the receding tide. He'd reached breaking points. Uh, he trudged the sands in gloom and fear. As he turned his eye towards the sea, he thought of heaven. Well, he says, if God gives us a band of men for inland China and they go and they die of starvation, even they will be taken straight to heaven. And if one soul is saved, would it be not worth it? He walked on a bit more cheerful. He stopped recalling some taking points of a sermon he'd heard. Why, he said to himself, if we are obeying the Lord, the King, the responsibility rests with him and not with us. And then he said, thou Lord, thou shalt have the burden, all the responsibility lies on thee, Lord Jesus. I surrender. I rest everything with thee. Thou shalt direct, care for, guide me and those who labor with me. I will ask for the workers to come forward. And that's how the China in the mission started. God started it, bringing his servants on the Lord's day, dejected at first, but in the spirits later. He brought him to the point where he saw King Jesus having absolute control and he handed over all his control, all his problems to the king. Can you do that? He said afterwards, all was joy and peace. I felt as if I could fly up the hill, fly up the hill. Uh, what did Billy Bray say? I be the king's son. Who be you then? And then one more thought. One more thought. Remember John's situation, says one commentator, as he patiently seeks to endure tribulation and then he receives this vision. By the emperor's decree, John has been separated from the church and is no longer able to influence uh, its history. But though he was on Patmos, John was in Christ, and by the spirits, he was shown the true sovereign, the divine Jesus, God's son. Wherever you are, your home, I know, you haven't got a choice. Uh, maybe you'd rather be on Patmos, maybe you'd rather be on a mountain 
But the most important thing is you're in Christ and Christ is on the throne. He's in absolute control of everything that is happening, even this lockdown, even this virus. As we started the service, the Lord is King. Lift up thy voice, O earth and all ye heavens, rejoice from world to world. This joy shall ring, the Lord omnipotent is King. The Lord is King, child of the dust, that you and me, the judge of all the earth, is just, holy and true at all his ways. Let every creature speak his praise. And we're going to do that now by singing together a sovereign protector I have, unseen, yet forever at hand.
Let us say the grace together. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us all now and forever. Amen.